0: Luke chapter 17, Wednesday nights we're just a chapter behind so we're catching up as we go through God's word chapter by chapter and verse by verse. Um, Again I'm glad for it because I don't think there's going to be too many Bible studies that are going to deal um, with remembering Lot's wife as one of the things, the other one that comes to mind we did this morning and that is... um, Whenever we take communion, he says, do this in remembrance of me. So there's things he wants us to remember. We remember by taking communion that Jesus died on the cross, shed his blood. And we do that on a regular basis. Why? So we don't forget. Well, he also told us to remember, especially this generation. So let's look at our text. Paul read for us earlier, Luke 17, verse 26. And as it was in the days of Noah, so it will be also in the day of the Son of Man. They ate, they drank, they married wives. They were given in marriage until the day Noah entered the ark, and the flood came and destroyed them all. Likewise, as it was in the days of Lot, they ate, they drank, they bought, they sold, they planted, they built. But on the day that Lot went out of Sodom, it rained fire and brimstone from heaven and destroyed them all. Even so it will be in the day when the Son of Man is revealed. And that day he who is on the housetop and his goods are in his house, let him not come down to take them away. And likewise, the one who is in the field, let him not come back. Remember Lot's wife. Whoever seeks to save his life will lose it, and whoever loses his life will preserve it. I tell you, in that night there will be two men in one bed, and one will be taken, and the other left. Two will be grinding together, the one will be taken, and the other left. Two men will be in the field, the one will be taken, and the other left. And they answered and said unto him, Where, Lord? So he said to them, Wherever the body is, There the eagles will be gathered together. Uh, This morning, Jesus uh, now is spending his last time, this will be his last trip to Jerusalem, and he begins to tell his disciples the conditions of the last days, and he's comparing them to Sodom and Gomorrah. So as we keep this in context here, remember... um, especially when these are your final words, they tend to take on more significance and importance. So the Lord is especially concerned about one generation. Uh, we know what the scriptures tells us about this generation. Um, not, and it's not good. So he gives us this warning. And this is his last time. We're approaching his last week. And he compares it to the days of Noah and the days of Lot. And then to sort of really drive the point home, he gives us warning in verse 32, remember Lot's wife for an example to us um, who may be tempted to look back at their old life. There's so much out there today that if you have the time, the money and the resources that can actually draw a person away from that single-mindedness and keeping the Lord uh, first and a a priority in your life. And that's the reason for the warning. Otherwise, the Lord wouldn't have given it. If there there was a danger of some of you actually thinking about, you know, this is getting pretty hard, Um, we're being marginalized, the churches are uh, dwindling, And, um, you know, there's other things that I want to check off my bucket list instead and so on and so forth. There is that danger. And so the warning. Don't forget what happened to Lot's wife when she had um, Sodom in her heart and um, it motivated her actually to turn around and look back. And she was left behind, basically, is the idea. So... Um, In verses 26 uh, through 30, um, we find, again, the warning as it was in the days of Noah, um, the conditions. They ate, they drank. Same with um, life is basically a picture of of these verses is a picture of everyday life, business as usual. And um, some of you are planning to go to um, uh, weddings this, this, um, this year, maybe take a vacation, and you have plans. And so, and you're doing your business. Uh, the point I'm trying to make is, is life is normal. Uh, business is as usual. Yet, having said that, there are, these verses must be compared with other verses, Because as we look, if you turn over to Matthew chapter 24, quickly, talking about um, these same events, Matthew 24, the disciples wanted to know about the second coming. And the Lord told them what it would be like during that period of time, especially during the great tribulation period. And we know that in Revelation 19 at the end of that seven year period of time that we have the second coming of Jesus Christ. So we must, when we read verses like we just read, life is normal and then it talks about the second coming. We just can't take one verse out of context without comparing it to what the Bible has to say about this particular issue of the second coming of Christ. Uh, I wasn't going to go there, but I guess I'm going to, anyway. I was researching this, and I listened to R.C. Sproul yesterday, and um, it was an older tape, and he took one verse and basically is is mocking the Bible study that I'm going to give this morning because he talks about only one coming of Christ, and that's the second coming. And he was sarcastic, rude, belligerent, if you didn't have his point of view as a post-trib. In other words, it's, um, uh, post, the post-trib was very, very common before World War I. And then they began to wane. Then World War II came along. And they waned even more because the idea is the earth be, being evangelized would perpetually become better and better and better. And when the world is Christianized, then the Lord would call up his church and then we would come back with him. And uh, he, he camped on one verse. And on this subject, there are so many different verses, I'm going to put them up on the screen, that clearly teaches two comings. Just as Israel did not understand that the Messiah would come twice. When he came the first time, they missed it. They were expecting him to come, to set up the kingdom. He didn't, but he's going to. He's going to go do that after the seven-year tribulation. So as you read Matthew 24, um, verse 21, we could, I'd like to read it all. He's talking about the middle of the great tribulation period. And he says, there will be great tribulation such as not been since the beginning of the world until this time, nor ever shall be. Matter of fact, unless those days would be shortened, no flesh would be saved, but for the elect's sake, they will be shortened. And then it goes on in verse uh, 27, talking about 29, immediately after the tribulation of those days, we have the second coming. So we have clearly here what the scripture is telling us. There's coming a time um, that the world has never seen before. Uh, This verse tells me life is anything but normal when Jesus comes um, at the second coming. And that was R.C. Sproul's argument. And nothing could be farther from the truth. Matter of fact, it goes on to say, unless those days are shortened, short, no flesh should be saved. That's not everyday life. That's not people planning vacation. That They're hanging on for survival. Um, Revelation six, verse fifteen and sixteen. I'll just read it. And the kings of the earth and the great men, the rich men, the commanders, the mighty men, every slave, every free man, hid themselves in the caves and the rocks of the mountains, and said to the mountains and rocks, "Fallen us, and hide us from the face of Him who sits on the throne, from the wrath of the Lamb." No, they're not going to work. Uh, they're not on Wall Street that day. Uh, they're hiding in caves. So the point I'm making is, so which is it? Which is it? Is it average, everyday living and business as usual? Or, as it says in Matthew 24, then there will be great tribulation such as never been uh, in the world until this time nor ever will be. You can't have it both ways. And you can't take one verse out of context and build your doctrine upon it. But you've got to look on, a, on this issue on the second coming and the rapture. You've got to look at the whole view on what the scriptures teach. So, well, the only explanation that we can give to um, rationalize these events, and I'm going to have them put it up on a board right now, um, which I put up before, the two comings of Jesus. There has to be two comings, If these things are both true, if life is normal, then we're talking about a time when the Lord is gonna come when everything's fine and is gonna catch us unaware. No man knows the day or the hour. And um, uh, so the only thing that makes sense is the Bible teaches the two comings of Jesus separated by at least a seven year period of time which is what we call the tribulation period. The verses that I quoted out of Matthew 24, um, dealing especially with the second half after the abomination of desolation. It gets progressively worse, worse, and worse. And then in chapter 19, the Lord does return. So what we have here, I'm just gonna read them quickly. Uh, The rapture and the second coming, two distinct events, which R.C. Scroll clearly did a very poor job, and I just thought, as well-known as he is, he's, he's not a very good Bible expositor. Um, and I think as we get closer to the end, as we're going to read in Daniel, there's a scripture that talks about Daniel wanting to know about these things. And he says, none of the wise, none, um, these things are shut up and sealed, Daniel, until the time of the end. Many will travel to and fro. Uh, none of the wicked will understand it, but those who are wise, they'll understand it because we'll see certain events coming together. And so here, the difference between the two, let's go with the first one, um, the translation of all believers, John 14, 1 Thessalonians 4, the second coming, there's no translation, Uh, gives the verses. Um, The rapture, the next one down, translated to heaven. Um, uh, The second coming, the translated Saints return to the earth. It talks even in the Old Testament. The Lord comes with ten thousands of His saints. It doesn't say ten thousands of His angels. It says ten thousands of His saints. Um, at the rapture, the earth is not judged. Instead, a lie is put out, according to Second Thessalonians, that will deceive the whole world. Uh, at the second coming, well, Matthew twenty-five says immediately after the days of that judgment. Um, When the Lord returns, then he judges. Righteousness is established. Um, At the rapture, it happens at any moment. It is signless. It is imminent. Um, The second coming follows definite predicted signs laid out clearly in the book of Revelation. This is a problem because most, if not all, mainline denominations and Roman Catholicism do not take a literal view of the book of Revelation. They spiritualize it, they allegorize it. And when you do that, you're gonna have all kinds of problems, all right? Um, the rapture is the, the, before the day of wrath, First Thessalonians 5, 9, God has then appointed us to wrath. But the second coming actually concludes the great tribulation period. Uh, At the rapture, he comes in the air for his own to claim his bride. Uh, At the second coming, he comes to the earth with his own, with his bride. At the rapture, only his own see him. And as we read Matthew um, 24, um, as lightning comes from the east to the west, uh, it tells that every eye will see him. He comes to the earth with his own, with his bride. Every eye will see him. The rapture, the tribulation begins. The church, the witness is taken out. And coincidentally, we have the two witnesses who have a ministry for exactly three and a half years and they now become the witness. When they're killed in the middle of the tribulation period by the Antichrist, what do we have? We have... God being faithful to have a witness, he has an angel preach the everlasting gospel to every tongue, every tribe, every kindred in all the world. So the whole world hears it. God always leaves a witness. Good place for an amen. (laughs) And we're that witness today. We want to be a faithful witness to that. So which is it? Is it a time when the Lord comes? Is there only one coming? well, you have a a big problem if there's not two coming. There's too many scriptures that point out two very distinct events. I actually can tell you, uh, Matthew chapter 24, uh, if you look at verse 36, but of that day and hour no one knows, not even the angels of heaven, but my father only, but as the days of Noah were. Luke is saying the same thing that Matthew is saying as it was in the days of Noah, and how they were taken out, here we're told no man knows the time of the rapture of the church. We, we say that it's imminent. Our exhortation is just to make sure we're watching and the warning not to look back as we see the signs getting closer. So um, Daniel nine tells us to the day when Jesus would come for the first time. April 6, 32 AD. Daniel chapter nine, verse 24 and 25. Daniel chapter 12, I could quote it to you, but I'd rather have you look at it. So let's turn to Daniel chapter 12 and I'll give you the very day of the second coming of the Lord. Daniel chapter 12 is the last chapter. I quoted it earlier. Daniel was given so much that he wanted more. Lord, tell me more. Verse 8 says, uh, in chapter 12, uh, though I heard, I did not understand. I said, my Lord, what shall be the end of these things? And he said, go your way, Daniel, for the words are closed up and sealed until the time of the end. Well, it tells us two things. Number one, people aren't going to get it or understand it until the end times um, because it's shut up and sealed. Um, but at the end times, it's going to be unsealed. And I'll talk about that in just a minute. Many shall be purified, made white, refined, but the wicked will do wickedly, and none of the wicked will understand, but the wise will understand. Um, the fear of the Lord is the beginning of wisdom. The way we gain wisdom is by our knowledge of this book. And from the time that the daily sacrifice is taken away, Daniel would not have known what that was all about except what the Lord uh, showed him in Daniel nine, and the abomination is set up. Well, this is a picture of Second Thessalonians two. Paul says the Antichrist goes into the temple of God, showing himself that he is God. And if God forbid any of you would backslide and not be ready when the Lord comes back. That's the warning of the study this morning. And um, you would be in this period of time. I believe you've told people, shared about the Lord's coming and the rapture. And a lot of them, we're gonna go back and actually look at it, are gonna have the same response as Lot's son-in-laws did. They thought it was the craziest thing they ever heard. And they scoffed. Um, But we're told when that event takes place, there shall be 1,290 days. Blessed is he who comes to the 1,335th day. Well, Matthew 25 says immediately, immediately after the tribulation, we have a 45-day period of judgment. So, Jesus is going to return the second time exactly 1,290 days, after the event we call the abomination of desolation. That shouldn't shock you. Why? Because we know to the day that he came the first time. Why wouldn't he tell us the date to the second time? Remember, none of the foolish are going to understand it. Only the wise are going to get it. In other words, you've got to be a serious student of the book of Daniel, and you've got to be a serious student of the book of Revelation. And you better understand 1 Corinthians 15... First, uh, First Thessalonians chapter 4 and uh, verses about the rapture and put them all together. To, that gives us a complete um, scenario of these events. Now the reason blessed is he who comes to the 1,335th day is after this time of judgment they enter into the kingdom age. But the ones who took the mark of the beast, Matthew 25 says, these were cast in to everlasting fire. And the last verse, but Daniel, you go your way till the end. Many of you shall rest and you will arise to your inheritance at the end of these days. Now, uh, this tells us the day of the second coming and the end of the seven year tribulation. The Lord uses the examples of this Bible study by using Noah and Lot as an Old Testament picture of this New Testament teaching in both uh, Matthew and in Mark. Now, in both Noah and Lot's case, he takes them out before the judgment comes. Let's go back to Luke chapter 17. Luke chapter 17, verse 31 and 32 says, In that day, he who is on the housetop and his goods are in his house, let him not come down to take them away. And likewise, the one who is in the field, let him not turn back. Remember Lot's wife. So don't look back. Don't let your hearts get attached to these things. Uh, that will mean nothing when the Lord comes for the church at the rapture and be left behind uh, like Lot's wife in this case here. Uh, going back to that, um, I'd like actually to go back and look as it was in the days of Noah and in the days of Lot. So let's go all the way back to Genesis chapter 6. We won't read much, but just what the world had had come to, and we're only in the first six, five chapters from Genesis, and already the wickedness of man. Let's pick it up in verse 1 of chapter 6 came to pass when men began to multiply in the face of the earth daughters were born to them that the sons of God saw the daughters of men they were beautiful and they took them for wives of all whom they chose and the Lord said my spirit will not always strive with men forever there's a lot of theology in this one verse back and forth he was convicting him this is wrong they were doing it anyway striving with them uh, for he and indeed, his indeed flesh, and his days will be hundred and twenty years. That was the uh, um, lifespan um, that happened after after the flood. Before that, we have guys like Adam uh, living to be in the nine hundreds. Methuselah, I think, it was nine sixty nine, and Enoch. Here's a good picture of the rapture taken out before judgment in verse chapter 5, verse 30, 24. Enoch walked with God, and he was not, and God took him. Methuselah lived 187 years and begot Lamech, and he died at 969 years old. Um, longevity of life evidently will be restored during the kingdom age, just like pre-flood conditions. So, let's go back to chapter six, verse seven. It says, there were giants on the earth in those days, and also afterwards when the sons of God came to the daughters of men, they bore children to them. These were the mighty men who were of old, men of renown. Now, there's a lot of controversy over this, But the Hebrew here, the sons of God, when you compare it to the angels appearing before the Lord with Lucifer in Job chapter one, it is the same um, Hebrew translation. The sons of God are not a reference to Seth as some would take it, but this is supernatural. These are angelic beings. And they are um, having sexual relations with um, the women of earth because they were beautiful. The outcome, men of renown and giants. And then it goes on to say there were even giants afterwards. No, that'll get your head (laughs) spitting because they died during the flood. That is, their flesh died. But what about the demonic side that was there? Um, They're angelic. And so they continued on. Question, do we see giants after the flood? Absolutely. Isn't that what kept them out of the promised land? There's giants in there. What about Goliath? Uh, They're they're finding these all all over the world. And you can Google it and find it, and you'll find skeletons that are 13 feet tall and so on and so forth. What's your point, Dwight? Well, just like the Bible says, we were giants as a result of the offspring before and after the flood. Uh, verse six, and the Lord saw the wickedness of men was great in the earth and that their every intent and thoughts of his heart was only evil continually and that was as it was in the days of Noah. The Lord says, that's the way it's gonna be when I come Again, let's go to chapter 19 and look at Lot. Chapter 19, um, I won't read the whole thing, but I'll give you the background. The destruction of Sodom and Gomorrah. And we find that um, it begins with, uh, first of all, in 18, I'll come back to that as we close up this morning. But um, he's interceding for Lot, Abraham is. But the angels are making their way down to Sodom um, to, dis- to destroy it. And we find that um, um, they come in and they find in verse seven that Lot is sitting at the gate of the city. Well, I gotta give you a little bit of uh, Hebrew um, judicial system, okay? When we go to... Um, Um, the nature reserve up in Dan. It's a beautiful hike. But they actually have uh, the ancient entrance, and it's the gates of the city. And usually what our guide will do is there used to be a chair there um, that one of the Calvary Chapel pastors broke when he sat on it. (laughs) (laughs) And uh, basically, judicial matters were, were taken care of At the gates of the city. Where's Lot? He's sitting at the gates of the city. And they're gonna say later, who made you a judge over us? So there's a progression. When they separate, Abraham and Lot separate, uh, Abraham then said, go. Where do you wanna go? You, You choose first. And he looked, and he says, boy, that's beautiful. All that land, it was outside of Sodom. And it says he pitched his tents outside of Sodom but eventually we find him sitting in the gates being a judge in Sodom, a progression, and not necessarily a good prog- progression. So the angels come, and um, verse five, they called to Lot and said to him, what are the men who came into you tonight? Lot knew what was going to happen. He said, I gotta get these two angels off the street because I know this city, and I know what they're going to want to do with them. And they said, nah, we'll, we're going to sleep out in the park bench tonight. And he said, no, you're not. You need to come and stay at my house. He insisted. Um, bring And now it says in verse uh, 3 that both young and old came um, and came to Lot's house and demanded that they bring him out that they might know him. And the word is, carnally. And they get upset. I can't believe Lot does what he does. He says, I brought these men under my house for protection. You can't have them. Tell you what, I'll give you my two virgin daughters. Do with them what you like. And my head goes, how bad was Sodom that he would say uh, such a thing? But he said, no, 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 no. We want those men. Evidently, the angels probably um, in human form, probably were still very beautiful. And we find that um, the people say in verse nine, you came here among us, stand back, Uh, you keep acting as a judge, he was in Sodom, and now we're gonna deal worse with you. So they pressed hard against the man-lot and came to break the door the angels blind them, and here the depravity had sunken to such a low degree. You would think after you completely are blind, all right, it's time to go home. No, their lust was so intense that they groped for the door, still trying to get in, young and old. Um, so now we find, so a lot um, The angels told him, you guys got to get out of here because God's going to judge this place. So now he's got to tell the family. He has two daughters, they're married, and his wife. So he went and spoke to his son-in-laws who married his daughters and said, get up, get out of this place for the Lord will destroy the city. But his son-in-laws seemed to be joking. All right, let's just stop here. We tell our friends, okay, we're living in the last days. The Lord's going to come. We're going to enter a terrible time of tribulation, and we got to get out of Dodge. And you explain the rapture of the church, and how many of your friends have the same response as Lot's son-in-laws? Seems to be joking. Are you kidding me? Come on, get real. You're just going to eh, disappear, and you're gone? Well when all is said and done, there's only four people that leave. But even with that, the angels have to take Lot by his hand. Let's read it. Um, He's mocked by his son-in-laws, so he grabs his two daughters, and he lingered. The man took hold of his hand. This whole idea of, okay, this is gonna be, I mean, everything I worked for up to this point, I think a lot of things are going through his head and now it's all going to be destroyed. And he's lingering. And his wife, we know later, doesn't want to go anyway. So it came to pass, um, they took him by the hand. He actually had to take Lot and his wife and yank him out. And said, get out of here, escape for your life. Do not look behind you. Is that clear enough? Why? Why not, why not look behind? Because in looking behind, your heart is being manifested where your heart is really at. And he says, don't you dare look back at that wickedness, that evil place that God is going to judge. Don't think twice about it because um, of just the wickedness. Just escape. Um, to the mountains, and Lot didn't want to go to the mountains. He says, can I go to this little city over here? It's just a little one. Can you imagine yourself bargaining with angels? <laughs> he was. And um, verse 22 is important. He says, hurry, escape there, for I cannot do anything until you arrive there. Therefore, the name of the city was called Zora. What is he saying? We can't bring judgment until the righteous have been removed. Abraham is gonna come up with the same logic. That's why um, we're such strong believers that before the tribulation can begin that seven-year period of time, the church must be taken out. We quoted it right here, before the day of God's wrath, 1 Thessalonians 5, 9. And we have a picture of it. There's a consistency, not only with Noah, which the Lord chose to use as an example of his coming in the second rapture, What example does he use? Noah and Lot. What were the conditions of judgment? You got to get out first. And unless you're out, we can't bring the judgment. So he overthrew those cities, all the plains and all the inhabitants of the cities. And now verse 26. But his wife looked back behind him and she became a pillar of salt. Now with that, um, when the Lord does come, um, some will be taken up. But Genesis nineteen twenty six, the Lord works into his message as he's warning about this generation, don't look back. Analogy picture, remember Lot's wife. She didn't make it. Why? Because where her heart and her treasure really was, was back in Sodom. That's why she looked back. And so, let's make our way back to um, uh, Luke chapter 17 at this point. Luke 17, verse 34 and 35. The other thing that I should point out here, um, if you're taking notes, of course, the rapture chapter, 1 Thessalonians 4, the Lord himself will descend from heaven with a shout, the voice of the archangel with the trump of God, the dead in Christ, in his best translation will have risen first, then we who are alive and remain, and this is where you have to uh, tie in First Corinthians 15 where Paul says we shall not all die, but we shall all be translated or changed. The word there is metamorphosis, go through this instantaneous change, one generation. Uh, will be caught up, uh, to meet him in the clouds, to meet the Lord in the air. And that's different from the second coming. And thus we will always be with the Lord. Therefore, scare one another to, with these words. <sighs> no, but that's what it does. The very thought of being in any part of the tribulation, let's just use common sense people, any part of it. Beginning with chapter six, I find no comfort of one quarter of the earth being destroyed. And there is no comfort in that. The whole purpose, like Lot, is you gotta be out of dodge before judgment can come. And so now, um, that's reassuring. If you read the book of Revelation and you don't have the hope of the rapture, sometimes people who don't hold this view, oh, you Christians are just copping out because you don't wanna go through persecution. Are you kidding? All those who live godly in Christ Jesus will suffer persecution. That's happening now. Good place for an amen. We're not. We from the time you got born again. There's a persecution that's only intensifying today. So that argument doesn't hold up. Um, Verses thirty-four and thirty-five, Luke seventeen. We read. I tell you in that night. Well, this is Eric's song, so I better quote verse thirty-three. Whoever seeks to save his life will lose it, and whoever loses his life will preserve it. Uh, Lot's life was preserved. His wife's was not. I tell you, in that night there will be two men, one in one bed. One will be taken, the other left. Two women will be grinding together. One will be taken, the other left. Two men will be in the field. One will be taken, and the other left. When Jesus comes for his church, some will be sleeping on one side of the earth others will be getting up and going to work so when he comes back it's a worldwide event some people are going to be sleeping and some people are going to be working and I believe that's all that means this is a worldwide event dark on one side and light on the other the last verse here is verse 37 and the question from the disciples so they answered and said to him where Lord and so he said to them, wherever the body is, there the eagles will be gathered together. What, uh, there's different arguments of what this means, but um, the one that I think fits the best is this was simply a common proverb of that day that simply meant when the conditions were ripe and fulfilled. That's when these things will take place. Well, what are the conditions like Today? if it's as late as we think that it is. Well, first and foremost, Israel is back in the land. When the Lord told Daniel, you're not gonna get it, Daniel, until the end. Do you know that for almost 2,000 years, if you had to teach from the book of Daniel or Revelation, they know it's about Israel, but there is no Israel. (laughs) And that's in 70 AD. So imagine being a Bible teacher during this period of time, anywhere from 70 AD till the return of Israel, which is almost 2,000 years, and you've got to teach about Israel. There's is no Israel. They're the wandering Jews. They've been scattered in all the world. Can you see how people would lean upon their own understanding and come up with alternative doctrines? So what really happens is there's some diehard Bible-believing Christians who said, I don't know. But if that's what the Bible says, that's what's going to happen. Now these are the wise who are in the last days will understand. They'll take a literal view of the book of Daniel. They'll take a literal view of the book of Revelation. And they'll go, holy smokes, the biggest sign ever, the parable of the fig tree. It wasn't there, now it's there. And it's one of the most productive um, uh, countries in the world militarily agriculturally and uh, their technology is the envy of the world all in 70 years this has happened so we are watching this as uh, are we living in the last days and if we are what's the sign Jesus said in Matthew 24 34 surely I say to you this generation what one the one that sees Israel come back, will by no means pass away till all things take place, including the rapture of the church. Now, let's just do current events. This last week, Matthew 24, verse seven. Why don't we turn to it? Because this this one really got my attention this week. Matthew 24, verse seven says, the disciples ask for one sign. That's, and that sign is the regathering of the nation of Israel, but the Lord gives other signs. Verse 7 said Nation will rise against nation, kingdom against kingdom, and there will be famines, pestilence, and earthquakes in various places. Huh. Earthquakes. On Thursday, a um, four point. A 6.4 quake hit followed by a 4.2 on Thursday. The very next day, Friday, a 7.1 quake hit the San Bernardino County State of Emergency largest earthquake in California in the last 20 years. Uh, The quake released 11 times more energy than the one that hit on Thursday. 750 quakes in the past 24 hours. Some of them small, but nonetheless. 990 earthquakes in the past nine days. 1,490 in the past 30 days. I thought, well, I wonder if anything's happened. I got up this morning (laughs) and started Googling uh, and wondering if uh, there was was another one there uh, that took place that we missed. The point is, um, they're talking seriously. One of the things that caught my attention is they showed L.A. Most of you saw this on the news. What is the probability that Los Angeles will be hit with a very major earthquake? 100%. That's what they said. 100% chance. Now I'm thinking, if I'm living in L.A., it's time to think about moving. (laughs) Not ninety nine point nine. Now, can't you give me one hundredth of a percent? No. And yet, this is clearly one of the things that the Lord told us to uh, look out for. Second uh, Timothy three one. What are the other signs of our culture of this generation? Why don't we turn to it? Second uh, Timothy three, and I'll read it while you're turning to it. But know this, that in the last days, all right? We're in the last days. When do the last days uh, happen? When Israel's a nation again. There will be perilous times, for men will be lovers of themselves, lovers of money, boasters, proud, blasphemers, disobedient to parents, unthankful, unholy, unloving, unforgiving, slanders, without self-control, brutal, despisers of good, traitors, headstrong, haughty, lovers of pleasure rather than lovers of God. Oh, they have a form of godliness. That means they go to church, but deny its power. From such people turn away. Those are strong words. For of this sort are those who creep into households and make captive of gullible women, loaded down with sins, led away by various lusts, always learning and never coming to the knowledge of the truth. Uh, Most Americans do not believe in a worldwide flood or the destruction of Sodom and Gomorrah. Would everybody agree with that? Oh yeah, there was a worldwide flood. No, 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 no. Colorado River formed the Grand Canyon. And um, if that logic was true, then the Fox River should be the landscape around here should be a whole lot different than what it is if you hold to that sort of uh, thinking. But it's foolishness to the world. Yeah, there was a worldwide flood that created all this. And the destruction of Sodom and Gomorrah, come on. God is going to throw fire and brimstone from heaven and destroy a city because of its wickedness. Who would believe such a thing? You're insulting my intelligence as their attitude. Well, science, let's let's use science. Science is proving otherwise. Do you know that science has proved that we found Sodom and Gomorrah? And I'm going to show two minutes and 45 seconds of a video clip. Um, I usually don't like interrupting a study because it upsets the flow of things a little bit. But I want to give you the scientific data that proves that Saturday and Gomorrah were destroyed. So let's run that. The fire was so, so intense as the idea is that it melted it to the state of pure uh, sulfur to the point you can actually take the stone and actually set it on fire and actually um, burn it. The video clip goes on. This is something you can easily Google and there's quite a bit laid out on the uh, scientific evidence of uh, the destruction of Sodom and Gomorrah. Now, if God judged Sodom, are we any different? Jesus said, what's it gonna be like? Well, it's gonna be like the days of Noah and the days of Lot when he brought judgment. Just within the last week and a half, California passes law forcing churches to embrace LGBT. Times they are changing, this is an article by David Rogers. America, the most Christian of nations, is in a death slide of sorts when it comes to its Christian legacy. As the California State Assembly has just passed a resolution that requires pastors and their churches to affirm homosexuality. No longer can a pastor and his or her church decide what is right according to the Bible for them under the new law. The assembly, concurrent, it's called Resolution 99 law, was passed this week, that was a bit last week, and ironically signed by a number of prominent Christian leaders. The proposed resolution also condemns attempts to change unwanted same sex attraction, or gender confusion as unethical, harmful, and leading to high rates of suicide. They say there is a stigma associated with being LGBT that is often uh, created by groups in society, including therapists and religious groups, that would be us, and that stigma has caused disproportionately high rates of suicide, attempted suicide, and depression, Dr. David said on uh, the Todd uh, Starred radio show, what they're asking the churches and religious groups change how they address this lifestyle. Uh, Gibbs, president and founder of the Christian Law Association said, churches are trying to help LGBT people. We want to reach people but we believe that the scriptures absolutely take a stand on this issue and we cannot change the stand that the Bible takes, he continues. They're trying to make it where absolutely the church, churches and religious groups are being held up as the problem why these LGBT community people feel like they do. Nothing could be further from the truth. Now, here's what's interesting to me. This was passed last week, okay, okay? So last week they passed this legislation. I just think it's interesting timing that um, the earthquakes, the strongest in 20 years, just happens to be a week later. I know what Bill, Bill Cody would be thinking right now because what he does is he charts these things. Whenever our country takes a stand against Israel, we seem to get a hurricane somewhere or devastating quakes and he'll be talking about that. Is there a connection? I'll let you make up your own mind. At the very least, it sure is an interesting coincidence. One week they passed a law that says that uh, the, the Bible study we're giving right now, I can't do it anymore. And it's passed. Resolution 99 passed this week. So, what does God's Word say? about the reality of Sodom and Gomorrah. Let's turn to 2 Peter chapter 2 verses 4 through 9. 2 Peter 2 picking up in verse 4, for if God did not spare the angels who sinned, but cast them down to hell and delivered them into chains of darkness to be reserved for judgment. Let's just flash back to last Sunday. The main part of the study was those who deny there is a hell. The Brian McLaren's, the Rob Bell's, those who hold to annihilationism or universalism, the author of the shack. That's what's prominent today. Um, but the Bible's clear about it here. Verse 5 and did not spare the ancient people, but saved Noah, one of eight people, a preacher of righteousness, bringing in the flood and, and the world of the ungodly, and turning the cities of Sodom and Gomorrah into ashes condemned them to destruction, making them an example to those who afterwards would live godly. And he delivered righteous Lot, who was oppressed with the filthy conduct of the wicked. And that's the way we feel today. It's grievous when we hear reports like this. It's grievous when we see just how quickly our society is is changing. For the righteous man dwelling among them, it tormented his righteous soul from day to day by seeing and hearing these lawless deeds. Then the Lord knows how to deliver the godly out of temptation. Well, he knew how to deliver Noah. He knew how to deliver Lot. And he knows how to deliver you and I. To reserve the unjust under punishment of the day of Judgment. Turn with me to the book of Jude, right before the book of Revelation. Does the Bible say anything else about Sodom and Gomorrah? Jude, let's pick it up in verse five. It's only one chapter long. I want to remind you, though you once knew this, that the Lord, having saved the people out of the land of Egypt afterwards, destroyed those who did not believe. Then the angels who did not keep their proper domain, but left their own habitation, He has reserved an everlasting chains under darkness for the judgment of that great day. As Sodom and Gomorrah and the cities around them in similar manner to these, having given themselves over to sexual immorality and gone after strange flesh and set forth, and again, as an example, I want to emphasize that, suffering the vengeance of eternal fire. So the reason that the Lord says remember Lot's wife, if you're taking notes, jot down 1 Corinthians 10, verse 6. It tells us, Now these things became our examples. Remembering Lot's wife is meant to be an example for those of us living in the last days to the intent that we should not lust after evil things as they Lusted. So what can we do in the light of all this except be grieved in our spirit like Lot? Well, there's a lot. That's a pun, isn't it? There's a lot you can do. (laughs) Let's turn to, um, well, as long as we're close to, uh, um, no, I'm going to close with that. We need to go back to Genesis chapter 18 as we wind this up this morning. Genesis 18. The Lord comes to Abraham and he tells him what he's going to do because of the cry of the sin of Sodom and that he's going to destroy it. Well, Lot lives here, Abraham's nephew. And he he is concerned because he knows he's a righteous man. So without reading the story, hopefully everybody here is aware of it, but the main point is is Abraham's rationale with the creator of the universe. And he says, verse 23, Abraham came and said, would you destroy the righteous with the wicked? My friends, there has to be a a rapture because the Lord won't destroy the righteous with the wicked. Now, I'm no more righteous than the most unrighteous man on the earth. But God gave me his grace when he died on the cross and he took my sin." the great exchange so that makes me righteous and it makes you righteous and then he starts being a good jewish businessman as he is he says suppose there's 50 when you get there and they're they're righteous would you destroy it for the 50 nope wouldn't do it well what about 45 lord would you destroy it for 45 no i wouldn't do it for 45 well what about 40 Uh, Being in Israel and understanding how they bargain, this is so typical. (laughs) And he's making his way down the ladder because he's thinking, okay, there's Lot. There's his wife. There's his two daughters. They have their son-in-laws. That's uh, that's, four, five, six, seven. We'll see how many. There's got to be at least a couple besides them. So he makes it all the way down. He says, Lord, don't be angry with me. I'll only ask you one more time. What's he doing? He's interceding on behalf of Lot, basically praying. Lord, you're, you're the ruler of the universe. Would you do that which is unjust? He says, suppose there's only 10. The Lord says, if I see only 10 there, then it won't, it won't happen. There wasn't, so they had to take him out. So what do we do? My friends, we take this seriously. If Jesus said, remember Lot's wife because of the consequences, then we warn, then we intercede, and then we pray. Lord, whatever it takes, my unsaved friends are living in a very ungodly world that's about to enter into the the great tribulation. We'll close with Second Peter chapter three, verses eleven through fourteen. Second Peter, chapter three, verses eleven through fourteen. In context here, it's about when the Lord establishes a new heaven and a new earth, I think it's applicable to the times that we're living in because um, God's judgment will fall uh, during a seven-year period of time. And so as we close this morning, what do we do? Well, in verse 11, it says, Therefore, since all these things will be dissolved, in other words, since this is going to happen, What manner of person ought you to be in holy conduct and godliness? Looking for, again, not looking back, but looking for. In other words, really waking up in the morning and saying, perhaps today. I think I'm gonna keep my nose clean and watch my P's and my Q's, why? The, the, The teaching on the rapture has a purifying effect on the church. That's what it teaches. Looking for and hastening the coming of the day of the Lord because of which the heavens will be dissolved on fire and the elements will melt with a fervent heat. Nevertheless, we, according to his promise, look for a new heavens and a new earth in which righteousness dwells. Therefore, beloved, looking forward to these things, be diligent to be found by him in peace without spot and blameless, and account that the long-suffering, you see, in my opinion, Lord, you should have judged this country a long time ago. He hasn't. Why? Because he's long-suffering, not willing that any should perish. What if the Lord came three years ago? And uh, how many of you have gotten saved within the, last, within the last three years? That means because he was long-suffering, Um, we didn't enter into that period of time. You could have. So he's long-suffering of our Lord and salvation as also our beloved Paul, according to the wisdom given to him, has written to you. So live in peace without spot. In the meantime, uh, we do what we can and we intercede. We remember Lot's wife. And you don't want that to happen to any one of your loved ones. So what do we do to them? We warn them. Will they listen? Some will. And some are going to be just like Lot's daughters' husbands. They'll think it's, you're the craziest person on the planet. Forget what, forget about what people think about you. Can you get past that? When we, Eric sang the song, You Gotta Lose Your Life, If you're worried about what people are going to think about you, you're not going to be telling them about our Bible study this morning. But if you could care less what people think about you and more about them, then you're going to be warning them and telling them. And pray that the Lord would take that seed and uh, would water it and that his word would not return void. Amen? Amen? Let's stand and we'll pray. Lord, as we make our way through the Gospel of Luke... And we we cross this study on your coming and um, uh, your exhortation uh, to remember Lot's wife. So I pray for your word this morning, Lord. We all have loved ones that are caught up in these last days in the world. We pray whatever it takes, Lord, first of all, that they would come to know you. And then the ones that are actually flirting with the idea of going back into the world, I pray this would scare them. And I pray that they would uh, grasp the intensity of, of uh, what lies ahead. Um, thank you, Lord, that you've given us the book of Daniel. Uh, we want to be those wise that do understand what's taking place in these days. In Jesus' name, amen. Long suffering. Um, of our Lord and salvation as also our beloved Paul according to the wisdom given to him has written to you so live in peace without spot in the meantime uh, we do what we can and we intercede we remember Lot's wife and you don't want that to happen to any one of your loved ones so what do we do then we warn them Will they listen? Some will. And some are going to be just like Lot's daughters' husbands. They'll think it's, you're the craziest person on the planet. Forget, what, forget about what people think about you. Can you get past that? When we Eric sang this song, You Gotta Lose Your Life, if you're worried about what people are going to think about you, you're not going to be telling them about our Bible study this morning. But if you could care less what people think about you and more about them, then you're gonna be warning them and telling them and pray that the Lord would take that seed and uh, would water it and that his word would not return void. Amen? Amen. Let's stand and we'll pray. Lord, as we make our way through the Gospel of Luke and we we cross this study on your coming and um, uh, your exhortation, Uh, to remember Lot's wife so I pray for your, your word this morning Lord we all have loved ones that are caught up in these last days in the world we pray whatever it takes Lord first of all that they would come to know you and then the ones that are actually flirting with the idea of going back into the world I pray this would scare them and I pray that they would Uh, grasp the intensity of of, uh, what lies ahead. Um, Thank you, Lord, that you've given us the book of Daniel. Uh, We want to be those wise that do understand what's taking place in these days. In Jesus' name, amen.